Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 100 of the show, the century mark, uh, as they call it. And it's crazy to think that I made it to episode 100. I started this adventure some two and a half years ago, not really sure what uh, it would entail or how far I would go with it, but here we are at episode 100, and I do just want to thank everybody who listens to this podcast. Uh, Getting to 100 episodes uh, certainly isn't easy. It takes a lot of commitment and time spent uh, preparing all this stuff, so I do appreciate everybody that's listened, and I will continue to bring you uh, the latest content uh, in the sports world. Uh, So long as I continue to have people that listen to it. So I do appreciate that. And uh, episode 100 is definitely a good one for you. We're going to go football heavy again. Uh, College football playoff rankings are finalized. We know who the playoff matchups are. We'll get into that. And we'll do standings updates in the NFL, the NHL, and the NBA. Uh, We do have some golf to talk about. Uh, Recap this past weekend's tournament. Look ahead to a couple uh, couple of golf events this week. Uh, how about that? And then in the Around the Island segment, very baseball heavy, a lot of free agent news, and then college football, plenty of news to talk about there. But we are going to start off this episode in college football, all right? And this past weekend was conference championship weekend. Now, I mentioned uh, last week's episode after the college football playoff rankings were released last week, that I thought uh, TCU and USC were in the most danger of losing. I I said that at least one of the top four teams would lose. Well, what ended up happening was two of the top four teams lost. Uh, The Pac-12 game, uh, Pac-12 championship was on Friday night last week. It was Utah and USC. USC came into this thing 11-1. Their only loss was to Utah in the season. This game was at a neutral site at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, and the Utes just pounded uh, the Trojans. They actually got down uh, and then ended up coming back on USC and winning that game. Now, this was Utah's second straight Pac-12 title. All right, they won it last year as well. Pretty interesting there. I didn't realize that uh, at the time. But USC, uh, they hold, over the past 10 seasons, mind you, USC holds a 64-5 and record when leading by 14 or more points at any point in a game. And four of those five losses have come to Utah. So Utah's MO against USC is to get down by two scores and then come back and win. Uh, that's just simply what they've done. So that was a, sh- I want to say shocker, but uh, that certainly wasn't supposed to happen on Friday night. And then you get to Saturday, the Big 12 championship game was the first one to be played. It was Kansas State and TCU. And this game was pretty 
pretty solid all the way around. TCU, just like they've done the entire season, got down by two scores in the fourth quarter, ended up coming back to tie it late in the game. The game went to overtime. In overtime, uh, they got uber-aggressive, went for it uh, on fourth and goal from like the one-half-yard line, didn't get it. Kansas State ran a couple plays and kicked a field goal to win it, ending TCU's perfect season. So not only did we have USC lose, we had TCU lose as well. So Kansas State was your Pac-12 champion. Over in the SEC, uh, it was Georgia and LSU. Now, I thought the SEC prides itself on defense, but we had a full-blown, five-alarm, big 12 game breakout with the amount of points that were scored. We had 80 points scored. Georgia put up a 50-burger, gave up 30 in the process uh, for that defense. And, uh, yeah, we had 80 points scored in the SEC title game. And uh, Georgia was your winner there. So they're back-to-back SEC champs. The uh, ACC championship, Clemson and North Carolina. Clemson ended up taking care of that. Uh, that really wasn't a problem, but you know that it, it just uh, oh the Big Ten championship missed that one. Uh, Michigan and Purdue, we knew Michigan. I told you there was no way Purdue was going to win that thing. Although Purdue ended up keeping it pretty damn close for most of the game, so uh, that uh, at least through the first probably two and a half three quarters, that game was was within one or. Uh, one score, or eight points, nine points, something like that. It was pretty close for most of the game until late. Again, Michigan showing their second-half team. So Michigan's your Big Ten champs. Um, now, that brings us to the final set of playoff rankings. We're not really going to go through the rankings because the only thing that matters is the top four teams. So uh, we'll take a look at those. The number one team is the Georgia Bulldogs. They ended the season perfect 13-0 SEC champions. They will be playing in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl against the number four-seeded Ohio State Buckeyes. Okay, uh, The Buckeyes ended up squeaking in because USC lost, right? So uh, USC, and they didn't just lose. USC lost by uh, uh, quite a bit, right? So... Uh, USC gets booted. Now, so that sets up the Georgia-Ohio State game, which I think is fascinating because Ohio State's offense is probably the best in the country in terms of the skill position players, and Georgia's defense is probably the best in the country. Uh, Another couple of first-round picks on that defense, so it's going to be defense versus offense. Typically what we've seen uh, in high-profile football games is that defense wins championships, but If Ohio State has a good day on the defensive side of the ball, uh, basically the opposite of what they did against Michigan a couple weeks ago, then uh, Ohio State may be able to squeak out a win in this thing. Now, the number two seed was the Michigan Wolverines, all right? And um, we knew that. They were 13-0, Big Ten champs. They will be playing in the Verbo Fiesta Bowl, uh, which is the other playoff game. And their opponent uh, was, we were waiting to find out if TCU, they had been number three, wondered if that overtime loss to Kansas State in the Big 12 championship would cost them. It did not, and I'll explain more on this in a second. So Michigan plays TCU. TCU finished third in the rankings. Uh, So it's Michigan, TCU, and the Fiesta Bowl. This game is going to be tough for TCU. I mean, obviously Michigan, you know, they've, 
yeah, I think they were overrated for majority of the season. Um, but you know, they've, they've been playing pretty well. They found a new, you know, Blake Corum got hurt. He's out, but Donovan Edwards has stepped in and has looked every bit as good, if not better than Corum. So TCU's defense is going to have their hands full. Uh, now TCU does have all year, they've had a bad habit of going down by two scores at least and coming back in the second half to, to win it, which that's worked for them so far this season, uh, but it's not going to work in this game because Michigan has been the second um, second half team of the year, basically. They are plus 186 point differential in the second half this season, which is uh, the second highest margin of any FBS team through 12 games over the past 10 years. So we're talking like historically good second half team Michigan is. So if TCU... Uh, gets down by two or three scores at halftime and waits to start playing until the third half, Michigan's going to turn it on, and that game's going to be night-night for TCU. So now I mentioned um, those top four rankings, okay? Uh, the, the fifth team, the first team out of the playoffs was Alabama. They finished at number five, and oddly enough, uh, Clemson, uh, they finished at number seven. Uh, they did not make the playoffs either. This is the first college football playoff ever without either Alabama or Clemson. Okay, Alabama's made seven trips to the playoffs since it started. Clemson's made six. And um, now I mentioned TCU. Okay, uh, they got the only reason that TCU is still in the playoffs right now is because USC lost. Uh, if USC would have won on Friday and TCU lost on Saturday, TCU was getting booted for Ohio State. I don't think there was any doubt about that. Um, but because USC lost, that opened up some breathing room for TCU, and they played a close game. They came back, they made it to overtime, and showed that they were aggressive in overtime, which ultimately cost them the win. So I think the committee rewarded that, and... Um, it's hard to justify a 10 and 2 Alabama team against a 12 and 1 TCU team that played in a conference championship game. So uh, I think this decision overall was probably pretty easy with USC's loss. You just put Ohio State in there because Ohio State is certainly one of the best four teams in the country on paper. Uh with the exception of the second half of the Michigan game, they they definitely are. So uh, TCU can thank USC for this playoff bit because um, that that's the only reason why, okay? Now, <clears throat> the other New Year's Six Bowl games, I'm not going to preview like all the games, but the All-State Sugar Bowl, number five, Alabama against number nine, Kansas State. Capital One Orange Bowl, number six, Tennessee versus number seven, Clemson. The Rose Bowl, number eight, Pac-12 champ, Utah Utes, against number 11, Penn State. And the Goodyear Cotton Bowl, that's number 10, USC, against number 12, Tulane. The Tulane bleeping green wave made it inside the top 12 of the final college football playoff rankings. Uh, that game's going to get ugly in a hurry. Um, but uh, nonetheless, those are the college football playoff rankings Um uh, the final set. So again, the playoffs, the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, Georgia and Ohio State. 
and the Verbo Fiesta Bowl, Michigan and TCU. And that game, both of those games are New Year's Eve, so we still have about three weeks before those go down. So we'll certainly preview those a little bit better uh, as we get closer to it. But that is uh, college football has been basically wrapped up. It's uh, coming up on bowl season, and next week we'll take a look at all of the bowl games, just kind of run you through some of the key bowl games that I think will be interesting watches. And, um, you know, bowl season's always fun. So we will take a look at that next week and check out the bowl game matchups. But we'll move over to the National Football League, keep the football theme going, and do a standings update here in the NFL. We are through 13 weeks of the NFL season. All right, have five weeks to go. Most teams uh, have uh, have had their bye week already. We're week 14 now, so this is the last week. There are a few teams getting their bye in uh, this late in the year, but for the most part, uh, most teams have played uh, 13 games already. Uh, and we'll start the standings update. Uh, well, let me back up. Week 13, we had a tie. Our second tie of the season was between the uh, Washington Commanders and New York Giants, okay? It was the first tie uh, between NFC East teams since 1997 when uh, the Commanders, then the Redskins, and the Giants tied that game as well. So a uh, pretty interesting fact there. It was a 20 to... Went through, you know, all of overtime. Teams had multiple... It was like a punt fest there. The last part of the fourth quarter and into overtime for both teams. I mean, it was, it was like good and putrid at the same time. Like, competitive game, because both these teams are fighting for the playoffs, but it was also kind of bad football at the same time. It was, I don't know. It's hard to explain. If you were watching, you know what I'm talking about. But start the standings update here in the AFC. The AFC East, the Buffalo Bills are sitting up top at 9-3. and three. They got ahead of Miami because Miami ended up losing in San Francisco this week, Miami's 8-4, a game back of Buffalo. Buffalo's actually the top overall seed in the AFC currently, uh, and I'll more on that in a minute. Uh, so Buffalo's 8-4. Didn't look great uh, against San Francisco, who had a backup quarterback playing for, for much of that one. Uh, New York Jets, 7-5. and five, uh, they lost to Minnesota, had a chance to tie it and win late. Couldn't do it. They're down to 7-5. and five. The New England Patriots are 6-6. Six and six. All right, they um, are on a two-game losing streak at the moment. Uh, it's going to be tough for New England to make the playoffs in that competitive AFC, but if anybody can do it, Belichick can. The AFC North, the Baltimore Ravens are 8-4, and four, tied with the Cincinnati Bengals uh, atop that division, 8-4. and four. Uh, Baltimore's got some issues going on, though. Lamar Jackson sprained his knee uh, in that Week 13 game. He only played a little bit of the first quarter before he got hurt. So he's going to be out uh, for a couple of weeks probably. The typical time frame for, I think it was a PCL sprain, is one to three weeks, so... You know, luckily, Baltimore's schedule's not, um, not very hard, so they should be able to stay afloat. Uh, but they have the Bengals right on their heels. I mean, they have the same record, but Cincinnati, they started the year 0-2. They're now 8-4, meaning that they've gone 8-2 in their last 10 games. So 
they are scoring points. Jamar Chase is back. He's healthy. And they're on a four-game winning streak, those Bengals. So um, they just beat Kansas City this week in Week 13. Uh, Joe Burrow's 3-0 against Patrick Mahomes in his career. Huh? How about that? Uh, but Cleveland is 5-7, and seven, and so too are the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, Both of those teams are on two-game winning streaks and have somehow uh, crawled back into uh, – they have five wins, uh, which is not going to get them in the playoffs at the moment. They're, they're a couple games behind that right now. But, um, man, uh, who would have thought that, especially the Steelers. Kenny Pickett is actually playing really well the last few games. But, you know, Cleveland's got Deshaun Watson back. He looked rough. Uh, on Sunday. Granted, it was his first game in like a year, year and a half. So, but either way, um, that division is going to come down to Cincinnati or Baltimore. And it really just depends on how quickly Lamar gets back because Cincinnati's firing on all cylinders. Over in the AFC South, the Tennessee Titans, uh, they're seven and five. They lost to Philadelphia this week. Two games in a row they've lost, and after that loss, they ended up firing their general manager, John Robinson. Okay, interesting deal there. And then Vice President of Player Personnel, Ryan Cowden, he is going to serve as the interim GM for the rest of the year. Um, Weird timing for that for the Colts. Um, They're winning the division by three games, probably are on cruise control to win this thing, uh, and they fire their GM, but... Uh, Indianapolis Colts are 4-8-1. and one. They just took it on the chin against my Dallas Cowboys to the tune of 54-19. to 19. Uh, That was a brutal game for the Colts. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, 4-8. and eight. They um, had a big win the week before against Baltimore, but lost this week. And then the Houston Texans are 1-10-1. I've told you they are on the clock with the first overall pick, most likely. AFC West, Kansas City Chiefs, they're 9-3. and three. Uh, They lost in Cincinnati this week, so they have the same record as Buffalo at 9-3, and three, but Buffalo beat them earlier in the year, so that's the, that's the tie break there. <clears throat> so Kansas City is uh, second in the AFC with, with that uh, record of 9-3. and three. First in the AFC West, of course. They have a three-game lead on the Los Angeles Chargers, who are 6-6. Six and six. That team is like stuck in neutral. You never really know what team you're going to get. And then in uh, in come the charging Las Vegas Raiders, 5-7. and seven. They've won three games in a row after basically being written off by everybody, including me. Um, again, tough spot there in the AFC. Uh, they're in the same boat with Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Probably not going to make the playoffs, but... It uh, it's certainly not impossible, and then the Denver Broncos three and nine, uh, fewest points scored in the league. It's just uh, I would not be surprised if Nathaniel Hackett gets fired after this year because he is most definitely not the answer there in Denver. Over in the NFC, the NFC East, Philadelphia Eagles currently uh, are atop the division and the entire NFC with an eleven and one record. Beat Tennessee this week. Um, you know, they're good. Uh, they really are good. Um, I'm hoping they lose a game here in the next couple of weeks because they play my Dallas Cowboys on Christmas Eve. Cowboys are nine and three. 
I mentioned just a minute ago, they thumped the Colts 54-19 on Sunday Night Football. Uh, both the Eagles and the Cowboys have won three games in a row. They're on a crash course for the uh, top overall seed in the uh, NFC. Basically, I-, I think whoever wins that Eagles-Cowboys game on Christmas Eve, you know, that might be for the uh, for the best record in the NFC. There's only one team in the middle of that, and we'll get to them in a minute. But Dallas looking really good. They're 9-3, and three, uh, certainly in the playoffs. The New York Giants, 7-4-1, and one, and the Washington Commanders, 7-5-1, and one, all right? Um, they tied this week. We just mentioned that. So uh, this, the Giants are, are on a uh, bye week this, well, let's see. One of, the, one of those teams, is, I believe, is on a bye week this week, but... Um, or has already had, they've already had their bye. It might be Washington, that is, because um, Washington's played 13 games. So Washington's going to be the team on a bye. But um, I, I think that we're at a, a point now where we know Philly's in, we know Dallas is in. Um, I think one of the those two teams uh, potentially get in. It, it's, you know, I doubt all four do. We talked about that last week. But over in the NFC North, the Minnesota Vikings are 10-2. and two. They're the only team that can get in between Philly and Dallas for one of those teams. Uh, Minnesota just doesn't pass the eye test like Philly and Dallas do. I mean, they're a good team, but, um, you know, they have also lost 40-3 to to the Cowboys earlier this year. So, you know, just a few weeks ago. So, you know, Minnesota's record's good, but, man, I I don't know. Um, the Detroit Lions, they're 5-7. and seven. And they are playing meaningful football games in December for the first time in about 100 years. So uh, that's good for the Lions. They look actually halfway decent. Dan Campbell has got to be considered for coach of the year. I mean, if Detroit wins a couple more games. Green Bay Packers, uh, they're 5-8. and eight. They beat uh, Chicago this past week, and in doing so, was their 787th win as a franchise, which is the all-time record, all-time winningest team. They passed the Bears in the process. And in that game, rookie wide receiver Christian Watson, dude's been on a tear. He had two more touchdowns this week. One of them was a rushing touchdown. But uh, Watson became the first rookie wide receiver to score eight touchdowns in a four-game span since Randy Moss did it with the Vikings back in 98. So Watson's having a hell of a year, hell of a second half of the year, really. And then, um, so the Packers are 5-8. and eight. Again, they're right there with the Lions. It's going to take pretty much an act of Congress to get into the playoffs, but, I mean, it is what it is. Aaron Rodgers, you know, I mean, that's that's certainly feasible. And then the Chicago Bears are 3-10. and 10. They have officially been eliminated from the playoffs along with Houston. Forgot to mention that in case the 1-10 and 10 uh, record didn't give that away. And then uh, the NFC South, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that went on, they're 6-6. Six and six. They lead the division at 500, right, 6-6. Six and six. They beat the Saints on Monday Night Football this week, just a crazy game. Last-second touchdown, basically a walk-off touchdown with three seconds left for the win. Um, so Tampa Bay, somebody's got to win this thing. Tampa Bay is 6-6. Six six. The Atlanta Falcons are 5-8, and eight, somehow just a game back. And then the Carolina Panthers, they're 4-8. and eight. 
They released quarterback Baker Mayfield, uh, put him on waivers. The decision was mutual in that regard, so uh, Carolina granted his request. Sam Darnold's been playing pretty adequate, I guess. Uh, and then, of course, they have P.J. Walker, who they still continue to um, you know, believe that he's a capable NFL quarterback. And then the New Orleans Saints, I just mentioned, they're 4-9. and nine. Um, My goodness. You know what's terrible about that is that the Eagles own their first-round pick this year uh, from the, the trade up in the draft. So, yikes. It, it looks like Philly's not only are going to be the number one seed potentially, they're going to have a top seven pick in the draft, which, uh, yikes. Um, over in the NFC West, the San Francisco 49ers, they're eight and four. Now, they beat Miami this week at home, but in that game, quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo, he f- uh, fractured his foot in that and left the game. Now, reports after the game uh, indicated that he was going to need surgery and he'd be out for the year. But uh, on Tuesday this week, it it reports surfaced that um, after further testing, it was not a Liz Frank injury. So he does not need surgery and he could potentially return in seven or eight weeks, roughly, if all goes well. Now, seven or eight weeks, that's about two months. That puts him right at uh, the Super Bowl potentially, um, maybe the NFC championship game at the earliest, um, for him to return perhaps, um, unless he just heals incredibly fast, which is possible, but, uh, it's likely that, uh, Garoppolo certainly done for the rest of the regular season. And who knows at what point in the playoffs he's going to come back. Now, remember they've already lost Trey Lance. So they're down to their third string quarterback, Brock Purdy, who is Mr. Irrelevant, all right, which is the last pick in the NFL draft this year. And he looked pretty damn good uh, coming in for Garoppolo. He ended up winning them the game. Now, people are freaking out saying San Francisco's done. Uh, And that's just not the case. Their defense is absolutely ferocious. They have an amazing defense. Offensively, they might have the most, uh, the greatest bunch of skill position players in the entire league uh, between uh, Christian McCaffrey. Uh, I know Elijah Mitchell's hurt, but uh, you have Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle. Uh, their, their skill position players are really good. And the way that they operate and run the ball as much as they do and have Debo uh, as a hybrid running back slash wide receiver. Uh, that team's going to play into uh, Brock Purdy, not necessarily uh, throwing 30 times a game. So uh, San Francisco, they got eight wins as it sits right now. They're they're atop the NFC West. So um, it, it looks like, you know, say if San Francisco gets, you know, one more win, they're, they're probably clinching a playoff spot at some point degree so maybe it's the last wild card but uh, maybe they need 10 wins but you know they're still uh they still got five games left so you know anything can happen I wouldn't hit the panic button yet if I'm a San Francisco fan I think that that team is is built to I mean let's face it Jimmy Garoppolo himself is not really a great quarterback he the people around him make him look better than he is. Um, he just knows how to operate that offense. So if Purdy can get that down, 
uh, I think those the rest of the guys will kind of pick him up. Seattle Seahawks, they're seven and five. Uh, they won this past week to kind of stay in that wild card mix. Arizona Cardinals are four and eight. Um, you know they're they're a mess, and then an even bigger mess is the defending champion Los Angeles Rams. They're three and nine, lost again this week. Six in a row they've lost. Matt Stafford's done for the year. Cooper Cup is he ain't coming back this year. Um, so they're you know their two best players on offense are out. Um, the running back situation has been atrocious. It's so bad that the Rams have claimed quarterback Baker Mayfield off waivers, right? I, I mentioned that Carolina released him. Well, the Rams claimed him. And uh, it's bad enough that you're claiming Baker Mayfield and hoping that he's been better than uh, or that he's better than the quarterback play that you've been getting between John Wolford and uh, Bryce Perkins, right? Um, yeah, that's... It's got to be better, right? The, you know, I, I don't know. We'll see. But either way, um, the Rams are, they, oh, you know, I would say they have a, a top five pick, but oh, wait. Yeah, they've traded their first round picks for the next, you know, eight years because they went ahead and bought a Super Bowl last year. So uh, they're paying the price for that now. But yeah, Rams, whoo. Uh, I think they have the worst record for a defending Super Bowl champion through a team's first 12 games in NFL history. Uh, I believe I did hear that. So uh, that is that is putrid right there. Absolutely horrendous. Rams are just uh, a joke of the NFL uh, right now, along with like Houston. But yikes, uh, Rams are, are in a bad bad way. They're they're down bad right now. Uh, but that's. Um, you know, uh, the standings update, like I said, we're through uh, 13 weeks. We come into week 14, and uh, we have uh, some decent games uh, this week on the schedule. But uh, we get started. Buffalo, uh, my apologies, that was uh, week uh, 13's Thursday night football game. Thursday night football this week, week 14. We have Vegas and those Rams that I just talked about. Woof. Um not exactly a real palatable matchup there on Thursday night football. Uh, some some meaningful games on Sunday. Cleveland goes to Cincinnati. You know, Cleveland's fighting for some. Uh, the Jets go to Buffalo. Uh, that's a big in, especially for the Jets. Uh, Minnesota goes to Detroit. If Detroit can win that game, they are right there uh, in that wild card conversation. The Eagles go to the Giants. Uh, that's huge for the Giants. Uh, Ravens and Steelers again no Lamar Jackson uh, in this one so maybe Pittsburgh has a chance you know um, uh, Miami goes to Los Angeles to play the Chargers on Sunday night football I mean that's uh, you know that's that's going to be a good very important for both teams Uh, and then Monday night football New England and Arizona so that's not really a great matchup either but uh, there are some good games, a lot of meaningful games. Of course, the closer we get to the end of the year, the more meaningful games we have. So uh, I will be certainly watching NFL football Thursday, Sunday, and Monday this week, and we will check back in next week to see how Week 14 played out. But we'll move over to the National Hockey League and do a standings update here in the NHL. And uh, we're about 26 to 28 games into the NHL's regular season. 
We'll start off uh, in the Eastern Conference, the Metropolitan Division. The New Jersey Devils are 21-4-1. They are only the sixth team in NHL history to win 21 out of their team's first 26 games. Just been on an absolute tear. Carolina Hurricanes are 14-6-6. Pittsburgh Penguins, 14-8-4. Right, they've... uh, Played pretty well. They've won eight out of their last ten. New York Islanders are 16-11. Still have yet to lose in overtime or a shootout. The New York Rangers are 12-10-5. The Washington Capitals are 12-12-4. The Philadelphia Flyers are 9-13-5. And the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, bringing up the rear at 8-15-2. They have lost three in a row. Um, Columbus looks like they're probably going to um, be in that eighth spot in the Metropolitan all year long. Uh, they just got pummeled by the Buffalo Sabres the other night, 9-4. to four. Over in the Atlantic Division, the Boston Bruins are 23-1, so they are um, playing at a really good pace. They finally lost their first home game. It was in overtime. Uh, but their 14-game home winning streak to open a season is the longest in NHL history. They've won eight out of their last ten. Toronto Maple Leafs are 16-5-6. They have won seven out of their last ten. Uh, Mitch Marner, forward for the Maple Leafs, he has a 20-game point streak that is currently still going as of this recording, which is the longest point streak in Toronto Maple Leafs history past... Uh, I believe it's Eddie Olchick, uh, who had an 18-game point streak. Daryl Sittler also with 18-game point streak in their history. But So Marner's the new uh, leader in franchise history with a 20-game point streak. The Detroit Red Wings have climbed up a little bit, a couple of big wins this past week. They're 13-7-5, and uh, have won six out of their last 10. Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, 15-9-1, and uh, still... Solidly in the mix there. There are seven wins in their last 10 games. Florida Panthers, 12-10-4. Montreal Canadiens, 13-11-2. The Buffalo Sabres are 12-13-1. I mentioned that game, uh, which they beat Columbus uh, this past Wednesday night, 9-4. In that game, forward Tage Thompson, he's been on a tear this year. He scored five goals in that game. Five out of the nine Buffalo goals came off the stick of Tage Thompson. Four of those came in the first period, all right, which four goals in one period, that tied an all-time NHL record for most goals in a single period. So uh, Tage Thompson is having a year. He's a big, young player, very good, skilled, kind of a power forward type, uh, just a great player. He's you know, Buffalo's probably not making the playoffs, but, uh, I mean, it's still obviously too early to tell, but um, they are currently six points back of the Lightning and the Red Wings. Still plenty of time to make that up, but I just, um, you know, I mean, if, if Thompson keeps scoring at the clip that he has thus far this year, you know, Buffalo might be intriguing down the stretch. And then the Ottawa Senators are 10-14-1. and one. Over in the Western Conference, the Central Division, all right, this is the first standings update um, maybe all season in which we've seen uh, maybe the second one that we've not seen the Dallas Stars technically in first. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets are 16-7-1. They have 33 points. They've won seven out of their last 10. Uh, they're playing some really damn good hockey. 
They have 33 points, like I mentioned. They're tied with Dallas in points, but they have two games in hand, which is why they are technically listed first. But my Dallas Stars are second in the Central at 14, 7, and 5. All right, they've hit a little bit of a skid, I guess you could say. Uh, they've, they've only won five out of their last ten, uh, but they do uh, they continue to score goals um, at an incredible rate. Um, as of this recording, <clears throat> they currently um, have the most goals scored in the Western Conference, all right? And uh, they have the, I believe, the second most goals scored. Yeah, that's correct. Second most goals scored in all of the NHL behind, oddly enough, the Buffalo Sabres, who I just talked about. So, uh, you know, they're scoring goals. The problem is, is uh, they're only plus 22 in goal diff. So, you know, they're, they're scoring goals, but they're also giving up a lot of goals, okay? That's going to be a problem for the Stars. But I mentioned point streaks a minute ago with Toronto. Well, Dallas has a point streak of their own that set a new franchise record. That was Jason Robertson, right? His point streak lasted 18 games. He had 34 points in those 18 games. Uh, it was the NHL's first star of the month in November, um, that's the 18-game point streak is the longest in Dallas Stars franchise history. He was also the first player this year to score 20 goals. Currently leads the NHL in goals. Now, keep in mind, Robertson had held out for a new contract this past offseason, didn't report to training camp at all, signed an extension a couple days before the regular season started. I think it was a four-year deal, $7.5 or $7.75 million per year, which looks like an absolute steal right now for the Stars. But... Um, you know, Stars are a good team. Uh, they've surprised me with how they've played thus far. And, um, you know, they're, they're definitely going to be around at the end of the year. They just got to get uh, that goals against, uh, bring that down a tad, and, and they'll have more consistent wins. Uh, Minnesota Wild are 13-10-2. They're third in the Central. The Colorado Avalanche are fourth in the Central, 13-9-1. Nashville Predators... 12-9-2. They have a three-game winning streak as it sits. St. Louis Blues, uh, they started out terrible, kind of climbed back into it, and um, now have fallen a little bit further behind. They've only won four times in their last 10. They're 12-14, uh, another one of those teams to uh, not lose uh, a game in overtime or a shootout thus far. The Arizona Coyotes are 7-12-4. They've only won once in their last 10. So, too, have the Chicago Blackhawks. They're on a two-game losing streak, only winning once in their last 10. They're 7-14-4. But Patrick Kane for the Chicago Blackhawks, he recorded his 1,200th career point, uh, which made him the 50th player in all-time NHL history to record 1,200 points. So um, he's still uh, producing even on a bad team over in the Pacific division. The Vegas Golden Knights are 19, seven and one, uh, two game winning streak. The Seattle Kraken, they are 15, seven and three. They are really surprising. A lot of people they've won seven out of their last 10. Uh, they're just looking really good right now. Um, from what I've seen thus far this year, uh, Seattle appears to be uh, a, a playoff team at the moment. They made a lot of moves in the offseason. They're certainly better than they were last year as an expansion team. But, yeah, they, uh, they're they playing some really good hockey, too. Los Angeles Kings are 14-10-4. Calgary Flames, 13-10-3. They have a three-game winning streak at the moment. Uh, Edmonton Oilers, 14-12. Vancouver Canucks, 11-12-3. Uh, 
San Jose Sharks are 8, 16, and 4, losers of three in a row. And then the Anaheim Ducks are 7, 17, and 3, uh, only winning twice in their last 10. So still very early in the NHL season. Like I mentioned, um, we're approaching the 30-game mark, which, you know, um, is a pretty decent chunk of the season thus far. We can kind of get a feel of, of, you know, how things are looking and who we think is going to be, um, uh, you know, playoff teams versus, you know, bad teams at this point in the season. But still a lot of hockey left, and we'll definitely keep you updated as we go along throughout the season. But we'll move over to the NBA, do a standings update here in the NBA. Most teams have played between uh, 24 to 26 games, so we're a couple games behind the NHL. Not going to spend a whole lot of time. I don't have a whole lot to interject as I go through the standings. Starting off in the Eastern Conference, the Boston Celtics, they're 20-5, and five, have won eight out of their last ten. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks, 18-6, and six. Uh, they've won three games in a row. Uh, looks like those two teams are, you know, have certainly going to be in the mix for the Eastern Conference uh, title this year. Cleveland Cavaliers been a little surprising this year after making that massive trade to acquire Donovan Mitchell. They're sixteen and nine, have uh, won seven out of their last ten. The Brooklyn Nets have climbed all the way up to the four spot in the Eastern Conference. They're fourteen and twelve. Uh, pretty good turnaround from where they were about a month ago. Um, I guess all it took was firing Steve Nash and getting Ben Simmons to actually play instead of sit on the bench. Uh, number five in the East, the Atlanta Hawks, 13-12. and 12. They have the same record as the number six Indiana Pacers at the moment, but the Hawks have the uh, tiebreak. Number seven in the Eastern Conference, the Toronto Raptors at 13-12. and 12. Number eight, Philadelphia 76ers at 12-12. and 12. They've lost three in a row. A little surprising considering how well Joel Embiid has, has played at times this year. Uh, New York Knicks are nine at 12-13. and 13. And then the Miami Heat are 10th in the East at 11-14. and 14. Now, I will remind you, the NBA's playoff system, uh, the top six teams in each conference automatically get into the playoffs. And the final four uh, between 7, 8, 9, and 10, they play in a play-in tournament to establish the last two seeds behind those top six. And so basically, 10 out of the 15 teams in each conference make the playoff or have a chance at the playoffs. That's two-thirds of the conference. So as of right now, those are your 10 teams in the East that are in. The Washington Wizards at 11 and 14, the first team out. They've lost four in a row. The Chicago Bulls are also 10 and 14. All right, um... Charlotte Hornets, 7-18. They've lost three in a row. The Detroit Pistons, 7-20. And, and then the Orlando Magic, 6-20. Uh, they have only won once in their last 10. They boast the very worst road record in all of basketball at 1-11. And, and then over in the Western Conference, the Phoenix Suns are 16-8. and eight. Uh, They've won seven out of their last 10. And then the New Orleans Pelicans, they are second in the West at 16-8. and Same record as Phoenix. Um, They've won five in a row. They're the hottest team in basketball right now. They've won five in a row, eight out of their last 10. Um, That trio of Zion, Brandon Ingram, and C.J. McCollum is finally clicking, and that team is is playing uh, very good basketball. Third in the West, the Memphis Grizzlies at 16-9. and Uh, They're still without John Morant uh, with the injury we talked about, I believe it was last week. Uh, But they have won four games in a row, so they're definitely treading water without Ja in the lineup. Uh, 
Denver Nuggets are 14 and 10 in the fourth spot there. They've lost three in a row. Sacramento Kings, 13 and 10. They're the fifth seed. Six in the West is my Dallas Mavericks. They're 13 and 11. Uh, they've not. They've only won five out of their last ten, but they have won three in a row. Hit a little skid there and finally turned it around. Had a big win, a uh, couple of good wins this week. One against Golden State, the other against Phoenix. So uh, looking pretty good. Luka Doncic is still um, solidly in that first spot for MVP uh, so far this year. Portland Trailblazers are thirteen and eleven. Utah Jazz fourteen and twelve. L.A. Clippers, 14-12. The 10 seed currently is the Golden State Warriors at 13-12. They have 13 wins, 11 of which have come at home, which means their road record is 2-10 so far this season, which is the second worst behind the Orlando Magic. Okay, that's just unacceptable for a team of that caliber. Um, So if they can even that out, uh, Golden State will quickly climb back up into that top Four to six. Minnesota Timberwolves are 12 and 12. Oklahoma City Thunder, 11 and 14. The Los Angeles Lakers are 13th in the West at 10 and 14. Now they have won six out of their last 10. Okay, Anthony Davis had a couple of really good games this past week. In the two game span, he he got uh, 99 points in two games. All right, one of which was a 55 point effort in which he had 17 rebounds as well. That's classic Anthony Davis that we've, you know, that we used to see. And uh, if, if he can play like that, or hell, even half of that, uh, to go along with LeBron and Russell Westbrook, the Lakers will, will climb back up into the standings pretty fast. But it is just insane to see the Lakers um, with, with LeBron and AD, arguably two, uh, you know, of the top, what, eight to ten players in the NBA uh, on their roster and to be that that bad so far it's just it's it's baffling but 14 Houston Rockets at 7 and 17 and then the San Antonio Spurs are last in the west at 6 and 18 they have won uh actually they have lost 11 in a row all right um there's five teams in the NBA with single digit wins Houston San Antonio Charlotte Detroit and Orlando Okay, those five teams through the first quarter of the season definitely appear to be the five teams that will be battling it out for that top lottery pick in the draft um, next summer, the uh, the old Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes. It, it appears that those five are the front runners to do that. But again, very early in basketball, still a lot of basketball to be played, you know, with the NBA's playoff system of taking two-thirds of, of the um, – of the conference, you know, it's it's really too early to be able to tell uh, who is is in playoff contention. The five teams with single-digit wins, it's fairly safe to assume that none of them will be in the playoffs, but, you know, um, crazier things have happened. So we will keep an eye on that and keep you updated as we go along. But we'll move over to the PGA Tour, talk about some golf. Now, I mentioned a couple of episodes ago that we'd be taking a little break because there were no... PGA Tour regular season events until the first week of January with the Century Tournament of Champions. Uh, but this week, uh, of course, we didn't have any tournament the week of Thanksgiving, but uh, this weekend we did have a tournament uh, this past weekend. And 
uh, it was just too good to pass up. I, I needed to cover it because um, it it featured a pretty elite field of golfers. Now, it was not a PGA Tour scheduled event, so it did not count in the FedEx Cup standings, but it was an absolute dandy of a tournament, and uh, there were some uh, World Cup ranking points that were awarded. So you couldn't improve your FedEx Cup ranking, but you could improve your official World Golf ranking in this event. Now, what it was, it's it was called the Hero World Challenge. It was at the Albany Golf Club in New Providence, Bahamas. All right, It was a par 72 distance with 7,449 yards. Okay, the course itself was designed uh, in the Bahamas there by current and former uh, senior tour golfer Ernie Els. This was the seventh time that New Albany uh, or Albany has hosted this Hero World Challenge. Pretty good, uh, good course design. It's more of a link style course. Uh, got strategic water hazards that were out there, and of course, being on the beach there in the Bahamas, a lot of windswept dunes. Now, interesting note coming into this thing was that um, four of the last five winners there at Albany uh, won with a score of 18 under par, exactly. So that was the number we were shooting for, all right? Uh, the field for this thing was absolutely incredible. Is really the only reason why I covered it. It was a limited field of only 20 golfers, okay? But it was 20 of the very best golfers in the world, uh, literally every top golfer inside like the top 20 in the official world golf rankings with that was out there with the exception of like Rory McIlroy, um, Scheffler, Shoffle, Rahm, Thomas, Morikawa, Hovland, Spieth, Finau, Kim, Fitzpatrick, Burns, Lowry, Fleetwood, Connors, Homa, M, Young, Horschel, Kistner were out there. Tiger Woods was supposed to be in there, but he withdrew due to some plantar fasciitis, so he was replaced by Sepp Straka. So great field, only 20 players, no cuts. Uh, so all 20 that started finished. It was a four-day event, and um, the winner after this weekend was Victor Hovland with a score of 16 under par. All right, So he actually had gotten up to 18 under par in that final round, uh, but then uh, had a couple of bogeys on the back half of his uh, round. So Hovland was your winner at 16 under par. Scotty Scheffler finished second at 14 under par. Cameron Young was third at 12 under. Xander Shoffley fourth at 11 under. And Justin Thomas fifth at 10 under. Colin Morikawa sixth at 9 under. Uh, Tony Finau was seventh at 6 under. And then... Tied for 8th at 5-under, Sung J M, John Rahm. Tied for 10th at 4-under, Tom Kim and Sepp Straka. And then Sam Burns was 2-under. Uh, Billy Horschel, Matt Fitzpatrick at 1-under. Then you had Jordan Spieth at 1-over. Corey Connors at 2-over. Max Homa at 4-over. Shane Lowry at 5-over. Kevin Kistner at 6-over, and believe it or not, Tommy Fleetwood went 7-over this weekend. So uh, Victor Hovland actually won this tournament last year. So he is the first back-to-back uh, -back winner of the Hero World cha uh, Challenge since Tiger Woods in 2006 and 2007. So, um, yeah, good weekend for Hovland. He'll get some, some World Cup ranking, uh, World Cup, 
world golf ranking uh, points to move his official world golf ranking up a little bit. Um, that brings us to this weekend. You know, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on golf. Just a quick little segment on this weekend. Uh, there's there's actually a golf tournament this weekend. Again, it's not a sanctioned PGA Tour event, um, so there's no FedEx Cup points available. Basically, just bragging rights for this thing. Uh, it's the QBE Shootout. It's at the Tiburon Golf Club in Naples, Florida. This, too, is also a par 72. Distance is 7,382 yards. I mentioned, uh, mentioned this is just for bragging rights. The format for this thing is a little different. Uh, it's only a three-day tournament, and it's uh, comprised, uh, the field itself is is 12 two-man teams, right? So 24 golfers playing in two-man teams. Friday is going to be a scramble. Saturday is modified alternate shot, and then Sunday will be uh, best ball. So little cool little format. Uh, I'll run through the 12 pairs because there's a lot of... Uh, recognizable names we got some lpga tour players out there all right so first pair charlie hoffman ryan palmer Corey connor's playing with kh lee um, maverick mcneely playing with lexi thompson uh, ladies pro golf tour nelly corda probably the best player on the lpga tour playing with denny mccarthy trey mullinax and scott stallings max homa kevin kistner Keith Mitchell, J.J. Spawn, Tom Hokie, Sahith Thigala, Steve Stricker, Cameron Young, Brian Harmon, Sepp Straka, Jason Day, Billy Horschel, and then Harris English is playing with Matt Kuchar. Now, these guys have won this thing three times. They've finished second another two times, so they are dominant in this thing. Certainly uh, number one in the old power rankings in terms of the duos out there, but again, just a fun tournament. I won't be watching it uh, due to football, uh, you know, NFL, and I may tune in Saturday. But the main golf event Saturday, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, is the match presented by Capital One. All right. Now, we've had several different versions of the match. You know, we've had um, Tom Brady out there, Patrick Mahomes versus Josh Allen. Um, You know, it's been really cool uh Bryson DeChambeau versus Brooks Kepka. you know I mean we've seen we've seen other um matches right it's called the match sponsored by Capital One uh well the one on Saturday this week December 10th is Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy versus Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth it's going to be played at the Pelican Golf Club in Bel Air Florida it's only a 12-hole competition all right so uh, the way that they do that is they only play 12 holes and um, kind of a, you know, everybody plays their their own shot and they record the lower score. And, and so whoever wins more holes after 12 is your winner. Now, Tiger Woods withdrew last week from the Hero World Challenge because of foot injury, plantar fasciitis. But he did say that his plan was to still play this week. Now, the cool thing about this tournament um, is the match The match is always fun to watch. Great viewing spectacle. Uh, the guys drive around on golf carts to their balls, so Tiger doesn't have to walk a whole lot. That's why he can play uh, in this thing. 
and the golf carts have cameras. The players are mic'd up, all right? So, uh, you know, they're going to be interviewing them uh, in between shots. Hell, even while they're putting or while they're hitting, they're going to be talking to them because the guys can hear it. Uh, it's just extremely fun. Uh, they'll joke around a lot. Of course, Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, a couple of uh, veteran golfers, certainly Woods, obviously, one of the best in the game, game's history. And then you have Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth on a team. They're best friends. Uh, they were President's Cup teammates, Ryder Cup teammates. I mean, these guys play together all the time, and uh, they're both very elite, high-level golfers. So it's going to be fun. Uh, they're a little bit younger than than Rory and Tiger, and so uh, it's the older guys versus the younger guys. And, um, you know, I'm going to pick Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth to win, um, but, you know, certainly wouldn't surprise me or anyone if Tiger and Rory won. But um, coverage for this thing, it's on Saturday, uh, December 10th at 6 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Central here in Texas. It's on TNT. Uh, probably only last a couple hours because they're only playing 12 holes. So uh, if you're looking for some some fun, you know, even the, even the other golf tournament, the QB shootout, that's with the two-man teams, that's going to be fun to watch. I may, you know, with, with no college football going on this weekend, I may give that a shot. Certainly want to watch the match, though, on Saturday night. That's going to be a blast. So uh, we can check back in next week and see uh, how that stuff went down. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island, and that's where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. We only have two sports to cover in this segment this week, but it is pretty loaded in both of them. All right, the Major League Baseball and college football are the, are the, the heavy hitters here in Around the Island. Start off in Major League Baseball, right? It's uh, hot stove season. It's the off season. Uh, winter meetings are taking place this week in San Diego. We did have one notable trade to report. The Seattle Mariners, they continue their extremely busy offseason. They acquired second baseman Colton Wong from the Milwaukee Brewers in exchange for Jesse Winker and Abraham Toro, who they got at the trade deadline, I believe, um, in the 2020 season, 2021 season, perhaps. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, Seattle's been very busy. And then the rest here is for some free agent signings. Just a massive, massive week in Major League Baseball free agency. Starting out with the biggest contract that was handed out, and that was the New York Yankees, right? Reigning American League MVP Aaron Judge. Where would he sign? He toured the San Francisco Giants facility. San Diego Padres had interest. But ultimately, Aaron Judge re-signed with the New York Yankees Nine years, $360 million, all right? Um, this contract, um, aside from being completely absurd, makes the New York Yankees the first team in Major League Baseball history to have three players on their roster with $300 million contracts. Of course, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, and Garrett Cole, all right? Uh, no, baseball doesn't have a salary cap, but... That is a ton of money to shell out. They have almost a billion dollars uh, in uh, three players, right? So uh, pretty pretty crazy stuff there. The next biggest contract to be handed out was by the reigning National League champion, Philadelphia Phillies. They signed shortstop Trey Turner to an outrageous 11-year, $300 million contract. 
This reunites Trey Turner with outfielder Bryce Harper. They were teammates uh, in Washington several years back. Turner is obviously one of the league's best uh, shortstop or second base. He played a lot of second base this last year as a Dodger. So um, that just further uh, boosts that Phillies lineup that, again, made it to the World Series this year. And to add insult to injury, the Phillies also signed pitcher Taiwan Walker, four years, $72 million. He had a great year with the Mets this past year, so he decides, well, I'm going to go to the division rival Phillies and uh, hopefully try and play for a World Series. Now, speaking of those Mets, right, free agent pitcher Jacob deGrom has been a hot commodity, highly sought after. And the winners of the Jacob deGrom sweepstakes were none other than my Texas Rangers. That's right, the Rangers signed Jacob deGrom to a five-year $185 million contract. Uh, with that sixth year on the contract is, is an option, optional sixth year. And if he does pick that up or the Rangers do pick that up, that would boost the total contract value to $222 million. So that is massive for Texas. They needed to redo their, their uh, rotation of starting pitchers. And DeGrom is a great place to start. All right. And uh, they also signed starting pitcher Andrew Heaney. Two years, $25 million. Not as flashy, all right, but um, that rotation for the Rangers now features Jacob deGrom, John Gray, Martin Perez, Andrew Heaney, and Jake Odorizzi. So a complete overhaul and makeover of that rotation. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it right now. If Jacob deGrom is healthy, now that's a big if, okay? If Jacob deGrom's healthy for all of the season, or at least... Um, you know, 80% of it, the Texas Rangers are going to be in the playoffs, okay? that's That sounds absurd to think about with how bad they've been the last few years. But keep in mind, they spent $500 million last year in free agency uh, on Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon and John Gray, okay? So, uh, and that lineup scored a lot of runs this year. So the Rangers are, are their, their downfall was pitching, and they clearly have addressed that. So, if DeGrom can stay healthy, I think the Rangers are making the playoffs. Um, but, yeah, wow. I was pretty surprised to see that one. Certainly happy. Now, the Mets obviously had to fill the void left by Jacob DeGrom's departure, so they went out and smoothly signed reigning AL Cy Young winner Justin Verlander two years, $86 million. That is the highest average annual value contract in the major leagues right now at $43 million. This reunites... Justin Verlander with Max Scherzer, who also uh, were teammates. This uh, They were teammates back in Detroit several years ago. Um, they Both of them got Detroit uh, far into the playoffs. I believe they went to the World Series uh, together as pitchers, both with the Tigers um, a while back. But uh, the Dodgers, they re-signed veteran starting pitcher Clayton Kershaw one year, $20 million. Five of that's a signing bonus. Chicago Cubs made a couple moves. They signed outfielder Cody Bellinger, one year, $17.5 million. They also signed starting pitcher Jamison uh, Talion, four years, $68 million. And then their rival in the division, St. Louis Cardinals, they went out. They uh, got a new catcher. Yadier Molina's no longer there. Uh, Wilson Contreras, come on down. St- signed him away from the Cubs, five years, $87.5 million. 
Boston Red Sox made a couple of, of good moves there after their uh, horrendous season this year. Closer Kenley Jansen gave him two years and $32 million. And then they also signed Japanese outfielder Masataka Yoshida. Okay, they gave him, uh, well, they signed him away from the Japanese Pro League, which is has been fairly common over the last probably decade or so. And the teams that sign these players, we have to pay a posting fee, basically a bid, highest bidder gets to sign the player. Well, the Red Sox paid a posting fee of $15.4 million just to get the chance to sign Yoshida. And then they signed him for five years and $90 million. So um, they have $105 million invested in uh, Masataka Yoshida. And you really have no film on him other than what he's done in the Japanese Pro League, which uh, is not obviously as good as... It's a good league, don't get me wrong, uh, but it's not as good as Major League Baseball. So uh, some of these Japanese players hit and some of them flop. So it is just a kind of an expensive gamble. Uh, They're highly sought after. Um, when they become um, eligible to be uh, bought out of Japan. And um, you really kind of never know what you're getting, okay? But um, Yoshida's uh, price tag would indicate that they truly believe they're getting something decent there in Boston. Tampa Bay Rays signed pitcher Zach uh, F-Line for three years, $40 million. And the Cleveland Guardians... They signed first baseman Josh Bell, two years, $33 million, includes an opt-out after the first year. And then last notable free agent signing, the San Francisco Giants. They signed outfielder Mitch Hanniger, three years, $43.5 million, spent the last uh, six seasons with Seattle, hit over 100 home runs in that time span. So he's staying on the West Coast. The Giants were major players for Aaron Judge, and when that fell through, uh, they signed Mitch Hanniger. So... Uh, quite a bit of uh, uh, you know free agent sign- notable free agent signings, not just you know no name players. We're talking about some of the best players in all of baseball getting signed to different teams this week. Uh, some other Major League Baseball news: the Major League Baseball draft lottery was held this past week for the um, 2023 MLB draft this upcoming summer, and I'll give you just the top six picks that were won in the lottery. Top overall pick belongs to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Number two, Washington Nationals. Number three, Detroit Tigers. Number four, Texas Rangers. Number five, Minnesota Twins. Number six, Oakland A's. Now, believe it or not, uh, and I was shocked when I found this out, this was Pittsburgh's first ever draft lottery win, which is crazy considering how bad they have been for a pretty large portion of the last decade, okay? This was their first lottery win, so uh, they were bad, bad this year, and um, they got, you know, they got the first pick. Now, if if you've, I mentioned, this is the 100th episode of this show, of this podcast. If you've listened to the first 99 episodes, uh, you know that I have an extreme hatred for the draft lottery systems that we see in Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NHL, all right? And this stat will precisely describe why I hate the lottery so much. All right, the Oakland A's, uh, they were bad last year, finished last in the AL West. Uh, They went into this lottery tied for the best chance to win the number one pick. 
and they ended up with the sixth pick. Okay, so by record, they should have had either the first or the second pick in this draft. They ended up with the sixth pick. Conversely, the Minnesota Twins entered this lottery with the 13th best odds of winning the draft lottery, meaning that they were about the 13th worst team in the MLB last year. They ended up with the fifth pick, okay? Meaning that there's they are going to be picking higher than some of the teams that had worse records than they did this past year, okay? That's just BS, all right? The NFL is the only pro sports league here in the States that does the draft right, all right? Which is worst team picks first, best team picks last. And you could talk about the tanking and the lottery prevents tanking. I, I'm not trying to hear all that, okay? I'm really not, right? The worst teams need to have the, the top picks, period. It, it's not really, it, it's inexcusable that the team with the 13th best odds to win ends up with a top five pick. Like, that just shouldn't happen. And you do get that in basketball, you get that in hockey, and you get it here in baseball. And that's because the lottery is exactly that. It's a lottery. It's a crapshoot. All right. And there's there's no finite way of determining draft order. All right. Like there is in the NFL. So, you know, um, again, I've, I've talked about this lottery system at least four or five times so far in the first 100 episodes. And, you know, if, if you've stopped me, if you've heard this before. Right. But uh, anyways, I digress. All right. That uh, that covers Major League Baseball. Moving on to college football. The Heisman Trophy finalists have been announced for this year's Heisman Trophy. And the four finalists for this award are Georgia quarterback Stetson Bennett, Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud, USC quarterback Caleb Williams, and TCU quarterback Max Duggan. Now, I'd like to think that this is not a quarterback award, but that's basically what the Heisman's turned into, okay? And I mentioned last week that Caleb Williams is uh, running away with the Heisman Trophy, at least in my opinion, and uh, nothing he did uh, in the Pac-12 championship game would uh, convince me otherwise. Um, But you see four quarterbacks. I think um, one of the biggest snubs, I guess, if you will, non-quarterback wise, to not get an invite to New York City for the Heisman is Texas running back Bijan Robinson. Uh, dude had over 1,800 total yards uh, from scrimmage and 20 touchdowns, which um, that 1,800 yards was the most by any running back in the country. So obviously call it a homer pick, but uh, I am a little biased, right? But uh, Bijan Robinson not getting an invite to New York City for the Heisman is definitely a ripoff. Uh, I think th- this award is, is going to go to Caleb Williams, but um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that when the award is handed out. Some other college football news. Another prominent head coaching hire to report. Talked about a few last week. Well, uh, this past week, the University of Colorado has hired Deion Sanders as their new head coach. Now, uh, Deion Sanders, of course, has coached Jackson State for the past three years. He's gone 27-5 and in those three years, including an undefeated 12-0 and season this year in which he won the uh, SWAC conference, right? Uh, completely turned that Jackson State program around, and in doing so, he's been able to convince multiple four- and five-star recruits to come play for him at Jackson State, 
all right? And um, Sanders has already uh, come out and had a team meeting with uh, the current Colorado roster, and he's informed them that he's bringing a lot of his baggage, a.k.a. his players, with him from Jackson State over to Colorado, including his son, uh, Shadur, who will be the quarterback for Buffalo, and five-star recruit Travis Hunter, who just finished up his freshman year. He was the top overall recruit in the country just a year ago. Those two, along with a handful of others, will be going with Dion over to um, Boulder. Now, Colorado is coming off of a 1-11 season in which um, they fired head coach Carl Durrell uh, after going 0-5, and Durrell was 8-15 and in his three years in Colorado. So clearly uh, much to be desired there. Uh, in Colorado and, um, you know, Deion Sanders, I would not be surprised. You know, Colorado plays in the Pac-12, which, as we've seen this year, it was super competitive. They had four teams in the playoff mix pretty much all year long. You know, USC, Oregon, Utah, um, I'm missing somebody. Um, you know, Oregon State was good. Washington was up there a couple times. So that that conference is, is pretty good. But... Um, with the way that Deion Sanders is going to recruit and the the people that he's going to pull out of the transfer portal, it would not shock me to see Colorado in the top half of the Pac-12 this upcoming season. Certainly within the next two or three years, um, I expect Colorado to be extremely relevant in that Pac-12. So uh, just that's a super interesting hire. And then uh, the last piece of college football news is that Monday this past week uh, officially opened up the transfer portal. So if you follow college football, you know, keep an eye on the flurry of activity that has already happened, that's about to happen with regards to transfers. You know, I'm not uh, I'm not going to cover all the transfers. Obviously, I'll just cover some of the major ones um, as we move along into the college football offseason. You know, right now it's we're getting into bowl season and um, college football playoffs, so I don't want to cover that too too hot and heavy right now, but I will talk about some notable transfers as they go down. But uh, that is going to wrap up the 100th episode of the Sports Island podcast. Um, just another another milestone marker here, 100 episodes. So I do appreciate all of you tuning in for as long as you have. I, I enjoy bringing the podcast um, to you all. And um, busy week this week in sports. We, you know, I mentioned uh, the golf tournaments that are that are taking place. Uh, the match that's always a fun a fun watch. So I'll probably uh, watch that on Saturday. Um, no college football, uh, at least not uh, not what we're used to. I think the Army Navy game is this week, but um, before we get into bowl season, so no college football to watch. A lot of NFL football. I mentioned some of the good games we have this week, but um, so I'll be watching that. Probably watch the match on Saturday and uh, football on Sunday and. Um, you know, hockey and, and basketball still going on midseason here. So plenty to watch, plenty to get into. Of course, Major League Baseball seems like it's going to keep us busy with uh, free agency and trades over the next uh, couple months until we get into spring training. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that as well. But again, uh, just um, another good episode, another good week of, of sports coming up, and we will check back in next week and see um, how this week unfolded. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here 
on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.